The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Meg, if you just want to do a rendition after church for like six hours, we'll just sit here and listen all day. That's awesome. Thank you so, so much. I invite your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, we are in start of a new series here over the next four weeks or so through Christmas morning called When Light Invaded the Darkness. When Light Invaded the Darkness. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that, uh, quite honestly, I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would rather skip or do skip. Uh, pastor included, growing even as a seminary student uh, at times, because it's just a list of names. What does this list of names tell us about who Jesus is and who he's not? And we'll get there in just a minute. Uh, I do want to thank uh, especially John Moody and Matt uh, for being on call, I guess is the best way. John, I messaged him in a panic on Wednesday on Facebook. That's how we communicate primarily and said, John, I don't know when this baby's coming, but can you have something ready too? And he said, sure. And so thank you for being willing to be ready. No baby yet, uh, as of yet. Mom's at home with a uh, daughter today, but I uh, appreciate your prayers for my wife. As, uh, as you know, uh, Jesus described labor as, uh, as a coming of the sign of the age. So I understand more and more as we have more and more kids how that works a little bit. But I'm glad I'm not the one laboring. I'm glad I get to hold the hand and just and do that, you know, do that thing or whatever that is. So I'm just kidding. But I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 1. Well, you know, it's that time of year where we are looking at a passage of Scripture that uh, is very familiar. And, and I debated as I was in study the last couple months of John 1 or Matthew 1, but I really want to focus on Matthew chapter 1 for the express purpose that we are going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that many people don't go through. So this week we'll look at the genealogy of Christ. After that, next week we'll look at the virgin birth of Christ. Why is that important to you in Matthew chapter 1? And then on the week three, we'll look at one verse, Matthew one twenty one. It says, Jesus saves uh, his people from their sins. But the question is, save from what? And that may surprise you even in a Christmas message. And then finally, on Christmas Day, we'll look at the name above all names. There is service Christmas morning, 1030, no Sunday school, just for the record, uh, just so you know that. Uh, you know, these goofy sermon illustrations I give you from time to time are real, but this one actually is a real one. I, I, I believe this to be true, but there's a story about five years ago of a pastor during Christmas time who had resigned in his mind. Every pastor resigns every Sunday in their mind. I don't know if you know that or not, but it's very true. Uh, but Joe McKeever, who is a great Christian writer, said that this pastor did more than just think about punching his pastoral ticket. In fact, in frustration, he wrote a letter to his congregation saying, perhaps my work here is finished. And so he, let, he wrote, as many of you have in your life, a letter of resignation. And against his better judgment or her better judgment, his wife helped him stuff and mail all of the envelopes. So his wife was on board as well. And the vindicated pastor anxiously waited for a response from church members, but his phone remained silent. When he checked the mail to see if anyone had written a response, he found that all of his letters were back in his box, his mailbox. Postage had gone up that week, and he mailed that letter so that they were all returned back to him saying, insufficient amount of postage. And so the lesson that this was told by Joe McKeever to pastors was, think twice before you're quitting. I don't want to quit. 
But as I was thinking through this passage this week, and we're going to read these names in a minute. I want you to know I practice these names, okay? And I practiced and practiced, and I'm still going to mess them up, all right? I just want you to know that. But when we turn that blank page that many of you have from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the first 17 verses, you look at them and you say, why, why are we doing this? Why can't we just quit? Can't we just be done? Can't I send in my letter of resignation? Why do we have to go over these names? But these 17 verses, friends, summarize for us essentially the story of the Bible from the call of Abram to the coming of Christ. They are perhaps, of all verses in the New Testament, maybe Revelation outside of that, the verses that we are most likely to skip. I mean, be honest. How many of y'all love reading genealogies? Okay, one hand goes up. I know you do, Patricia, and I know why. But partly because saying these names is hard. You know, in seminary, if you couldn't say the name, you just said Bob or Joe or, 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 or Robert or something like that. We just say, let's get on to the story of the New Testament as quick as we can, and we skip over these names. But when we do that, we miss so many great lessons, friends, so many great lessons. The genealogy of Christ is obviously a lesson that we need to learn today. First, I, I just want to point out a couple things. This genealogy is broken down into three parts. If you have your Bibles there, we'll read this in a second, but you can see there, even in the last verse, in verse 17, it says, so all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. So Abraham to David, 14 generations. David to the exile, 14 generations. And the exile to the birth of Christ, 14 generations. That's an important note. But it's also quite obvious that this man, if you know your Bible history, has left out some names. I don't know if you've ever wanted to do that with your family trees. You know, you know someone in your family who if you could just take that magic white marker and go, yeah, we're not sure we want you in our family, erase and see ya and be creative. That's kind of what happened here in a sense, and I'll explain that a little bit later on. Matthew's purpose is not to give a full genealogy. His purpose is to help them memorize and realize that he's made omission for the reason of to underline this is no obscure genealogy. The 14s are a memorization technique that helped these people memorize 14 blocks at a time of who came to Christ. And he does this with regular rhythm. This is why the Bible says in Isaiah, it says, Seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. Friends, as we come to this church, we, I hope you, if you've been with us a while, you know we're not afraid to tackle hard issues. We are not an issues-driven church in that sense, but we want to know what the Bible says. And all of the promises of the prophets were carried on this one that was born in Bethlehem. This one whose genealogy we will study today. It's such a comfort to know, isn't it, that God, through a list of names, and there were some rascals in these names, folks. There were some squirrely people, and those are light words to what has been done, that God still used all these people to bring about his son. So what is the big idea today? The big idea is I read through this list, and some of you are going to look at this list, and we read it in a minute and say, really? Christ came through him? The big idea comes out of this. The big idea today of the sermon is that every sin has been pardoned, every need has been provided for, every said promise fulfilled, and zero of God's covenant believers have been forgotten. That is grace, friends. You have not been forgotten over all the years that you have been a Christian because of God's grace. Look, every promise of Scripture has been fulfilled in Christ. I hope you're grateful for that, and I hope you understand what that is. So where are we going today? I want to give you three lessons of the promises of God this morning. Three lessons. First, we're going to look at the unreliability in God's promises to us. Or the, uh, I think I said that uh, wrong, but the, uh, there is no promise that God can ever say that won't come true. We're going to see that difficulty, there's no unreliability, rather. There's no difficulty that can keep God's purposes from us. And then finally, there's no obscurity that can hinder 
God's work. Guys, be grateful for that this season because these are the promises of who the Lord is. God promised through Abraham that he would bring a blessing to all nations. And on the throne of the son of David, he said he would reign forever. I told you before, some of you may want to erase your family tree. I don't know if that's you or not, but I bet you that if you knew half of the sins that were committed in this family tree, you would want nothing to do with it, folks. But yet our perfect Lord came down, incarnated himself in this line that we are going to study today. With that in mind, will you join me as we muddle our way through some names? Are you ready for this? And we're going to do it together. And if you laugh as I laugh, we will do it. But I'll tell you, the hardest names are in the middle verses. So you pay attention. Matthew chapter 1, God's Word, verses 1 through 17, says this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. These are the easy ones, but the Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, or Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab, I can never get it out, and uh, Bob the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. Verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel, and Shetiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abud, and Abud, the father of El, uh, Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Lehud, and Lehud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mothan, Mothan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, whom Jesus is born, who is called Christ. Whew. And here's the kicker. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. What an awesome God we serve. Will you pray with me as we start this morning? Father, this will be a shorter sermon today. We don't have time to go through every history of every name that is listed here, but we do know that you are the God of history. Father, thank you that your word, whether we pronounce the names correctly or not, is still the word. Thank you that if we know you, you know our name as you count all and name all the stars, as the psalmist said. What a great joy that is. Father, as we celebrate the coming of your son 2,000 years ago, not as a myth, but as reality. Father, I pray that these promises that we see through these people, messed up as they were and messed up as we are, sinful as we are, Father, that we would find hope in the Christ of the Scriptures. Father, we pray this to your glory and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I told you, that takes a lot of practice to do it, and it's much harder when you're reading in front of people than in front of the mirror at home, so just so you know that. Well, friends, I first want you to see the first promise that we have is there is no unreliability. There's no unreliability in God's promises to us. I've shared with you, and I'm going to fix this microphone just one second here. 
I have shared with you that this is a very messy story. That if this was yours, there would be some that you would like to erase. Some people you really would. The whole story is told for you to underscore that even through 2,000 years of history, God's ways at times seem to be untidy, don't they? I mean, if you were to look at this list, you would see names like Manasseh. If you know anything about Manasseh, Manasseh was a curse word in the Old Testament. Or, or uh, wow, uh, Hezekiah was a good name. Uh, there's some others through here. But friends, you know that two of the untidiest names are not Hezekiah or any of these other names that, that, that did good but had sin. They are actually the names of Abraham and David. How many have heard of the name of Abraham before? Raise your hand. Uh, Father Abraham, you know that thing? And then David, of course, we know who David is. But I want to remind you, friends, that there is no unreliability in God's promises to us because Abraham in Genesis, time and time again, was a scoundrel. You may recall that he forced or manipulated his way to God's will. Abraham was promised the nations. Do you remember this? Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, you will be blessed. The nations will be blessed through you, God told Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah got old, old to the point where they couldn't bear children. And so Sarah said, well, take my servant Hagar and go through and just go ahead and knock her, uh, go ahead and get, get this. Uh, that was not what I was trying to imply, and I am sorry. But he literally said, go and, go and have a kid with her. I apologize. I really do. He took God's promises to the point at which it was all about himself. Do you remember the story? And then he went down to Egypt. And do you remember the story? What happened to him in Egypt? Do you, oh, he said, well, Sarah, don't say you're my wife. Because if you say you're my wife, they will kill me and you will die. So Sarah is then visited by the Pharaoh who takes her into his own harem and does this very thing. And time and time again, Abraham, the man of promise, is using God's promises against his own character. And yet God says he is the one that will be blessed for He's a tremendous failure, folks. Abraham was scared. Do you remember the story? Yet who do we revere? But God was faithful and fulfilled his promise. What about David? Do I have to recount for you the times of David's personal lapses? Look at verse 6. I think this is very interesting here in the passage. It says, and, and, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, by the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Who was Uriah? Uriah was Bathsheba's husband. If you remember the story, Bathsheba was bathing and David saw her and lusted after her and took her inappropriately to be his wife. And what happened is that David eventually killed Uriah, Bathsheba's wife, and took him as his own. Of course, he tried to hide it. And what happened? He was found out, wasn't he? Read Psalm 51. But he is underscoring for us that even in the midst of all this apparent chaos and confusion, God is working for his purposes. Two of the biggest scoundrels in our faith are the people that open up the verses of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Does that not give hope for the rest of us? We, I don't know if you've killed anyone lately. I hope not. But God sometimes seems slow in fulfilling his promises to us. His directions are sometimes hard to see. But beware that the Christian who knows the details about his own life, I remember growing up with several people who said, well, God told me this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen. That may well be true, but be very careful. Even the God of the Scriptures worked through a line of people that many would have given up on years ago, but he used it as his own to bring about his son. The person has never read this passage who says, I know where God's going to take me in five years and ten years. Even in the midst of all the chaos, there is no unreliability in God's promises for you. 
Friends, be reminded of that. And the lesson for us today, Amy's going to put this up here, is we too often have acted as if God's promises are no reliable than our own. How often have we gone to God, God and said, God, I just don't see how you're going to answer this prayer. This life is twisted. This sin fill is twisted. I don't know where you're going to get through all this stuff. Lord, how am I going to make it out? But part of trusting Jesus is not trusting my own thoughts and feelings. He is more reliable and more freeing than anything else in this world, friends. Your hope is to be relied on who Christ is. And if you were to read through this genealogy, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. They would have known that the Messiah would have come to David and through Abraham. But for him to intentionally list names that he listed would have been an offense to some of them. Because although they knew that promise, they doubted to some degree, we know that God would actually bring it to be. God's care for you is only reliable as those places he is at. And friends, God is at every single place. He's at every single place. Jesus sometimes seems unpredictable in his character, but I can tell you he's always reliable. Our God is gentle yet powerful. He's authoritative yet humble. He's human yet fully divine. You know, it's kind of like this story, and I have a lot of African-American friends, and I use this story as a way to point this out. But I knew a young man who was from Africa at William Jewell, and, and you're going to see a picture of uh, his hair that's on Facebook. And uh, we lived together in the dorms, and he always had a brush with him, and I never understood why. He always had a brush, and I thought he was vain. He was always combing his hair, and I always thought, man, I can't even comb. I can grow my hair, grow a beard, and you're always combing your hair. But from all outward appearances, man, it looked like it hurt. It did. I'm going to fix this thing again. It happens about every six weeks that the microphone gives me fits, but it really looked like his hair was tightly wound to the point that it hurt. Do you know what I'm talking about? In so much that every time he'd comb his hair, I'd say, ouch, ouch, not out loud, but to myself, ouch. And when I got to know him well, I asked him, doesn't it hurt to comb those black, amazing locks that you have? And he laughed, and he pulled out one of his locks, and I said, ouch. And he put his hand in his hair, and what looked like a terrible tangle of hair was a perfectly arranged in the beautiful deep darkness of his African head. And friends, the promises of God at times may seem like my friend's old hair. They may seem tangled, they may seem impossible to penetrate, and they may seem painful, but God's promises are always perfectly ordered. And that is great comfort to us. William Cowper, the great hymn writer, said, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behold the frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Friends, I am grateful that in Christ, this baby who was born 2,000 years ago is the same God who's living today. And in this God, we have the yes and amen are the promises of God. I don't know about your family tree, but if this was my family tree, I would have given up on it a long time ago. But God has no unreliability in his promises. Let's go on to the second point. I'll show this to you. Secondly, what you're going to see is that there are no difficulties that can halt God's purposes for you. Friends, I want you to think about that. How many times in your life have you folded your arms and looked at God and said, God, I have so much sin in my life. I have so much wrong in my life. I have so much terrible stuff in my life that I cannot see how you're going to work through this. Or God, those people around me, if they were just like me, life would be so much better, don't you think, God? God, if you just put me in charge, then, Lord, nothing would stop the progress you have for me. God, if you wouldn't have given me a wife and a kid and a car payment and a mortgage and, a, and, and, and all these bills I have to pay, God, life would be so much better. God, I, I get this. Lord, if you would just follow my plans. Anyone ever had that conversation with God? 
Friends, the rhythm that is being built into this gives us God's footprints in history. When you read it aloud, some of these names, and we're going to look at four of them, stick out like sore thumbs. Because these are people that you would look at and say, God, if you just got rid of that person, life would be much better. Look at these four names. Here they are. These four names are very easy for you. But the first in verse 3, if you look at the word Tamar, do you all remember who Tamar was, Bible scholars? It's a crazy, crazy story. These four names are Tamar, they're Rahab, they're Ruth, and they're Bathsheba, or the wife of Uriah. These are all women, and women, I mean that with all respect, but in those days, you know that to speak of a woman in any genealogy was bad. Uh, you may remember the story, I forget the name of it, it was uh, the story, uh, I forgot, uh, uh, it was uh, the Night Tales or something like that from 15 years ago, where a, uh, a young man, uh, I believe it was Val Kilmer, if I remember correctly, tried to become a knight, and they made up a fake genealogy of him. And if you remember that story or that movie, it was all about the fake genealogy of one man to one man to one man. So why does Matthew take liberty here to show us that these were women? I mean, doesn't a genealogy get traced down through the fathers? Our eyes are supposed to be drawn to this, friends. Our eyes are supposed to see that it's beyond normal people. All of these women came from foreign nations. Tamar, pretended to be a prostitute, to have a father by her father-in-law, Judah. You can read about that in Genesis. Rahab ran a house of prostitution. You can read about that in Joshua 2. We're studying that uh, in Joshua in the Sunday school right now. Ruth, according to the Jews, was a Moabite dog who married into a disobedient Jewish family. And Bathsheba isn't mentioned by name here, but the implication is is that she helped in some way of the adultery, and therefore, but what is the point of all this? God doesn't treat sin lightly, church, but God is not paralyzed by my past sin. God is able to bring pardon and restoration in ways that we can never fathom or see. He is able to raise up those who sinned so bad and bring them again for His gracious purposes. Friends, what wicked men did was all part of God's sovereign plan. Check out Acts chapter 2 in Peter's sermon. Their sin couldn't halt God's saving grace, and their message was a great message of the gospel. But friends, I am here to tell you, while God doesn't treat sin lightly, God is not paralyzed by my past sin. Some of you are walking today with guilt of sin that you have given to Christ, but you're still living in 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the line. Many of you need to take that to the cross yet again. Many of you need to sacrifice your family history, and some of you have had a rough family history. You need to take that to Christ and say, Lord, there is more grace in you than there is sin in my heart. Lord, there is more grace in you than there is sin in my mind. Lord, there is more grace in you than there is sin in my actions. And friends, this Christmas season, be thankful for that. Be thankful for that every day. Be thankful for that on June 7th, whatever June 7th is next year, in the middle of the afternoon when your life isn't going how you want it to because sin is in your way. But what did Christ say through Paul? He said, where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. Friends, there's not one sin in here that you have committed that this Christ who is written about through all these people of sinners cannot take on. How grateful that is, because some of you are held like prisoners to your past. And because of that, you're missing out on the blessing of what Christ has done. The message of the coming of Christ is that sin was abounding, but where sin abounded in this terrible genealogy, grace abounded all the more. Friends, some of you, have written off your parents to the point at which you don't care for them anymore. You want to get rid of them to the extent that you just want to be done. Where grace abounded, 
sin about it, grace about it all the more. Can you believe as Matthew was writing this that he had a little hesitation on his part? Can you imagine that? He's writing this genealogy. He's giving it to the people of Israel. And he has to be thinking, humanly speaking, as the power of the Spirit is working on him, he has to be thinking, Lord, where is this going to go? You're wanting me to write all this down, but Lord, these were sinners. And yet, what does it say in Matthew one twenty one? Jesus came to save his people from their sins. Friends, are you grateful today that Christ has saved you? Are you grateful today? I'm going to go with the other mic. I'm having all sorts of trouble with this. I apologize. Are you grateful today that Christ has given you everything that you need, everything that you have? Friends, the greatest Christmas present you have this year is not the, you know, I love those Lexus commercials because it's so not real. You know, those people who wake up and there's a big bow on a car outside that costs more than most of us make in a year or two in one shot. Yeah, I'd love to see those interest payments, you know. Friends, the greatest gift for you is that there is no difficulty of God working through your life. You say, Darren, does that mean I can just go live it up how I want to live it up? No, not at all. But it does mean that as you sin and you will sin, Christian, as you grieve the Holy Spirit of God, that there is no sin that Christ cannot forgive. This is why a thief on the cross can be told by the living Son of God, you will be with me today in paradise. This is why a death row inmate by God's sovereign grace, if he so pleases, can be saving a death row inmate even at the very last of a heinous crime. This is why you can pray for uh, the Mussolinis and the Hitlers and the, uh, you know, the uh, Fidel Castros of the world because God is sovereign and he can take purposes that are not ours and change them for his glory. Friends, do not doubt the power of your God. Do not doubt the power of your God this Christmas season for people to hear the truth. The world says be paralyzed by your past. That's not the gospel. There is in Christ that will not only cover your sin, but grace upon grace that will bring your life to the very center of the purpose he has for you. And what we see in this genealogy is not just that Christ can work through lies, but Christ can supersede lies to the fact that he can take the messiest of situations and turn them for his good. You know, we're praying for Oakland. You probably heard on the news the last couple days about the, the, the massive warehouse fire. Almost 40 people, up to 40 people have perished. This last week, a Brazilian soccer team perished because apparently the uh, pilot forgot to put gas or didn't want to stop to refuel to put gas in the container. He thought he could make it all the way. We have a lot of tragedy, a lot of senseless tragedy that can be averted. But friends, even through all of that, Christ is still king. Even through the messiness of what we call the United States, as we have it in our culture as it is, Christ can work through that. Is that your God today? And I'll close with this point this morning. Friends, there is no unreliability in God's promises to you. There is no difficulty that can halt God's purposes for you. And I want you to get this last one, because it's very true in this genealogy. There is no obscurity that can hinder God's work through us. This genealogy traces the house of David. It traces David from his height of power all the way through the very last one. And it's a royal bloodline. It's a great royal bloodline. Uh, sometimes you see on uh, those news stories on TV, if you've heard those before, where they'll say the, the, the long-lost son of the great king from 500 years ago in some random nation 5,000 miles away was found. I think, that's great. How cool would that be to be that guy? And we ask, where was the bloodline all this time? Well, friends, the bloodline right now, is, as Matthew is writing this, is in a carpenter and his expectant wife. 
It's in a little obscure town called Bethlehem. It's kind of like that place called Trimble, north of, 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 of Smithville, if you've ever driven through there. It's about that size, but there's no cool lake behind it as well. And it's in a manger in a cave at the back of an inn. There's obscurity all through this genealogy. That's where God pro- promises were laid to bury, buried in total obscurity. And in this genealogy, we have names we know nothing about in the Bible or know so little. I mean, come on, guys. How many of you all know who Azor, the father of Zadok, is? That sounds like something you would get off a, a movie or something. It really does. Who is that guy? Now, you can look it up, but really, who are these people? They are regular people that God used to do mighty things for his purposes. Tower View, I have said very often, as I was reflecting on this term, we are not trying to be a church that God doesn't want us to be. If God were to see fit to bring us tens of thousands of people here, praise God. But we act and we function in a way that is just regular people doing regular things. I'm a regular pastor, whatever that means. Matt's a regular pastor. Gilbert, you're like super pastor, but that's beyond the, the, the scope of this sermon. But we are regular people here at this church. We are regular people living out God's gospel one time after another. And many of us have caught up in the culture, even in this church, of trying to make a name for ourselves when really all God is asking for us is to try to be faithful to him. These people here we know nothing about because it's in interbiblical times between the New Testament or the Old and New Testaments. But one thing we do know is that they lived for Christ even despite their sin. Friends, a question has come up, because this question came up often back in this day. Well, if the Messiah would just come, he'd set all things right. Well, they crucified him when he came. As we enter a new leadership across the board, I'm not speaking just anything in life. How do we save our country? Have you ever thought about that? Friends, here's how you save your country. You live in quiet insignificance. You live joyfully. You live prayerfully. You be faithful in your marriage, your family, and your church, and you boldly love and be loyal to the risen Jesus. No one may ever know your name. No one may ever care about your name, to be honest with you. You may have two friends on Facebook, and they're your wife and your dog. But God love you. If you are following Christ, God will see his purposes work through you. There is no obscurity that can hinder God's work through us. What is the message? The message is that God works not only through the public and great ones of his people, the Billy Grahams, the R.C. Sprouls, uh, John MacArthur, just throwing out some names, but God works in the obscure ones and through the obscure ones that are essential to fulfill his purposes equally necessary to the larger names. Many of you here this Christmas season may be stirred to say, Lord, I may want to serve somewhere, or God, I may want to give this or do that. What would you have me do? Pray through that. God may have something for you. But isn't it like God to take the obscure, to confound the public, the weak, the strong, and the simple, his wife, wise? It's his way. It really is. When we believe in Christ, this genealogy, this royal bloodline from which we got his humanity, his humanity didn't come from heaven. His human nature came down through this bloodline into himself, sanctified by the Spirit. And at the moment of his conception, Jesus takes up to his sovereign plan and purposes. The obscurity is used wonderfully for his glory. If many of you are struggling this week because you are not getting or can't do what you used to do, or if I can't get recognized, I can't do this or I can't do that, can I remind you today that if you are faithful to the Lord, he will use you mightily. And it may only be one person that comes to Christ, but praise God, that's one person that came to Christ. Amen? 
Mary and Joseph had set in their hearts on living and having the Lord Jesus. And when they have set on our hearts of having the Lord Jesus as they did, as the coming Savior, and it's in no other way, it's only then, friends, that we discover there is nothing that can hinder his look through us. It's almost as if God is saying through this genealogy, look, look into the manger to see the Savior, to see him lying there and see the big picture which that manger alone explains. To those who are... To those who welcome the Lord Jesus, God's promises are reliable. There is a difficulty we experience, but God works out his purposes even through our difficulties. And it's overcome by grace, no matter how obscure we feel. This culture has taught us that unless you are in the limelight, that God cannot use you. Friends, I am grateful. I have many friends in ministry. Many friends. I was actually talking to a good friend of mine who's going to listen to this sermon. He'll know this conversation. We were talking last night about 945 at night. Just uh, catching up, and you know, he mentioned. He said, "Darren, I am so grateful that God has not blessed me with a church of three, four thousand people." He said, "I don't know what I would do. I think I would be a completely different person." This this brother, and he knows who he is, uh, serves a church uh, in obscurity, actually uh, not far, uh, Nislees, from where you all grew up uh, in that area, and he he has a congregation of about twenty people. Twenty people. That's this half of the row, like the first four rows over here. But he's one of the most faithful godly pastors I know. His name is not going to be in the limelights unless God so chooses, but I know he visits the sick, he cares for the poor, and everything he does points back to this fact, God is good. He doesn't let his position define his obscurity. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast all out all our sin and enter in and be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels and the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. You know, many people, many of you feel like the family that's in this picture. This is a picture of uh, a movie of many years gone by. But many of you feel like the family, and I think this is one of those fake stories, but if you've ever felt that things could get a little weird around your house, listen to what happened to this man supposedly called Doug Barnes. He was celebrating Christmas with some of his friends and commented on the beautiful center vase that they were sitting at the table eating dinner. And the host replied, that's not a vase. It's the urn of my grandma always joins us for Christmas meals friends your family may be odd your upbringing may be odd your church family and your pastor is definitely odd praise the lord but aren't you grateful that out of much obscurity and much oddness that god can use you for his glory Your family may be odd, but so is God's. If he can redeem you and me, he can redeem anyone. Friends, I am here to tell you, this is not the usual Darren, preach it hard sermon. I've just been thinking about these three things this week. Friends, what an awesome God we have. Look, if we went through every one of these, we could spend a week on each of these men and and women and give a testimony of their lives. But the fact is, God is faithful church this is why as we vote on our and steve thank you for reminding of this time and time again it is god's faithfulness that provides through his people that makes the budget that we have today it is god's faithfulness that will see this church grow spiritually and the work through the saints it is god's faithfulness working through his people that will reach these neighborhoods for jesus christ nothing can stop tower view baptist church and the people of tower view baptist church we are faithful to trust this god who worked through the most messy family that has ever existed in the world church do you believe that because if you do 
There's nothing that can stop our God. And that is where I'll end it today. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray this morning?